0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Dialogue Out Loud series. I'm Taylor Petrie, editor of Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought. Today, we're really excited to have with us three special guests to celebrate Pride Month. M. English, Ray Nielsen, and Keith Burns, who've all published recent pieces in Dialogue on LDS trans experiences. We're so glad that this topic is receiving more attention and proud that Dialogue is an important venue for trans voices, especially in this current environment of anti-trans backlash and oppression. M is the author of Trans in the Chapel, Attending Church as a Newly Out Transgender Woman in the Fall 2022 issue. She's a technical writer and educator at the College of Southern Idaho and a proud co-parent of five children. Ray Nielsen is the author of On Tradition and a Non-Binary Revolution in the Spring 2023 issue. They're a recent graduate from BYU, now living in Austin, and is engaged to be married. Keith Burns is co-author with Linwood Lewis of Transcending Mormonism, Transgender Experiences in the LDS Church, in the Spring 2023 issue. Keith holds a master's degree in child development from Sarah Lawrence College, where he specialized in gender and sexual identity. Keith is currently working on a master's of social work at Lehman College. Welcome to all three of you. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be nice here. Nice to be here. Em, I'd like to start with you. Can you briefly share a little bit about your LDS background and your transition and a little bit of the, the story that you share with us in your dialogue piece?
1: Um, it's a complicated story and difficult for me to abbreviate, but I will try. I'm the youngest of 10 children in a very large, very Orthodox Mormon family. Grew up in Salt Lake City. Um, as far as remind me of the other parts of your question, I'm sorry, Taylor.
0: Yeah, that's, that's okay. I'll just say it again. If you want to, if you want to, uh, go, go from there, just state a little bit, uh, sorry, I'll, let me ask it clearly. Can you briefly share a little bit about your LDS background and how you began your transition and a little bit of the story that you share with us in your
1: dialogue piece? Sure. Well, I'm the youngest of 10 children from a large Orthodox Mormon family in Salt Lake City. Um, Lived in Salt Lake City for a good chunk of my life, and most of my family is still there. Throughout my life, I held various church callings. Um, I've been in bishoprics, high council, um, mission leaderships, both on ward and stake levels. I've significantly been involved at various points in my life. Um, Realistically... I didn't understand the difference between gender and sexuality until I was 45 years old. And as soon as I did, I had to ask some very serious and very hard questions. And that's what led me to really start to break down something I've been told my entire life to just not think about. As far as the story I shared, that story in particular was the first time I really ever attended church presenting completely for you. And also, the last time I attended a sacrament meeting for almost three years.
0: Well, thank you so much. And I hope that we'll get more of your story in the course of our conversation. But Ray, let me turn to you. You represent a little bit of a younger demographic, and, and maybe in, in some respects are more common uh, non-binary and trans uh, Latter-day Saints. Tell us a little bit about your background and your transition story.
2: Um, so I grew up in a small town just outside of Salt Lake City, and my family was also like, very classically Mormon, very conservative. Um, but you know, as 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 you mentioned, I'm part of a little bit of a younger generation, so the conversation about queer identities was really opening up and when i was a teenager i realized that i was bi um and i kind of grappled with that for a while and then i went on a mission and on my mission um with it being like such a gendered space there was a lot of room for me to be like hold on is this that's not that's not right um and so i I started pushing my gender, um, but but I like tried to ignore it because I was like, no, 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 that's too complicated. Like it's one thing to be attracted to both genders, but to like have a have a weird gender, like I can't do that. Um and so it wasn't until I was in in the like February of twenty twenty, I was in a sacrament meeting and somebody was giving a talk about integrity, and I just had this feeling of like you're not being honest, you're not being honest about who you are. And so then I was like, okay, it's time to like delve in. And so now I identify as non-binary. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, my, my gender is like a complicated blob of like, masculine and a little bit of feminine and mostly just a big mix of things. Um, and I haven't really like, necessarily started transitioning in ways that I would like to yet because I was at BYU and I didn't want to complicate my um education so yeah I don't I'm not entirely sure what that's going to look like for me in the future but um yeah that's that's me
0: Heath, you you come at this as a, a researcher and somebody who was uh maybe interested in studying these issues uh, from a, a a psychological and sociological perspective um what are you, what did you see in the course of your research you interviewed a number of trans latter-day Saints uh what did you what did you discover that about the kinds of experiences that that uh this community is facing
3: yeah. Great question. And it was really interesting just hearing uh, Ray and and Emily talk about their experiences. Um, And I would say one of my biggest takeaways from my research speaking with um, about seven uh, trans or gender nonconforming current or former uh, members of the church is just how differently people were constructing A sense of gender identity and in particular how people were relating to the term trans itself. Um, Taylor, you and I discussed this several weeks ago in in, um, our interview. Some of my participants uh, were very situated in the gender binary, so they had either a very firm um, trans feminine or trans masculine uh, sense of self and identity, and kind of like you were just explaining, Ray. Other people I talked to were very much um, subverting, avoiding, or resisting a gender binary. Uh, some people were feeling more masculine at some in some times and some contexts. Some people were feeling more feminine in certain times and contexts, and some people were not feeling connected to really any sense of. Of femininity or or masculinity, and one person even used the term "genderless blob," and it was really fascinating to just see the breadth of experiences and ways of relating to transness and and gender itself. So, there we're not really
0: talking about one singular experience by any means, but but a variety of ways that uh, that Latter Day Saints are are uh, experiencing and experimenting with gender uh m and ray how, how are you seeing this issue among some of the uh, other you know trans folks that you're that you're in conversation with how are they navigating things like uh, gender binary and uh and sexuality even
1: it's complicated um and if you dismiss it as anything other than complicated you've belittled something very important it's absolutely critical that we understand how complicated this can be I also think often we think of this as a static point and this changes and fluxes and moves. The idea that you find a fixed point and sit there for your whole life is probably unrealistic. Um, and so you have to give space. We speak of spectrums and we usually think of a line and that's just insufficient. Maybe even a circle is insufficient. You might need a color coded sphere. Just to get the variation. I tell people all the time, the standard answer is, if you know one trans person, you know exactly one trans person. <laughs> and that's a standard answer. I may have some overlap with Ray. Ray and I may be able to say, oh, yeah, I felt that. That sucks. But there may be, too, that I may have some points that Ray's like, yeah, that's not." And they see it very different than I do. Um, I think, I think for me those those nuances, um, I explain to the students at the college I work at sometimes as being like a chessboard. And again, I think this is an oversimplification, but each of us fill in different squares on the chessboard. And Ray and I may share a square or two on the chessboard, but I've never met two people who fill in all the same squares on the chessboard. It, it really is that nuanced, And I think that's very astute what Keith has commented on and noticed. Um I think it's absolutely true. and You see it everywhere. You work with young people, and they're very tremendously. I do think, depending on the age of the person you're dealing with, the nuances of this can become very difficult.
2: Yeah. I don't feel like I could follow that. I feel like Emily is very wise. Um, but I, d- I did just kind of want to echo that it it is very, um, individual. I think that, you know, when you look at the, the general conversation that is happening online or whatever among younger people, there is a lot of just, you know, I, the, the, the best example that I've seen is honestly, there's this like TikTok video that someone made where they draw a graph, but they're like, there's not just a Y and an X axis. There's also like a Z axis and then like another axis. And it was like, um, but there's, like, first you have to measure it by, like, masculine versus feminine, and then there's another one that is, like, do, like, well, so one of them is, like, I think, like, the external gender, like, how do you present, and then the other one is, like, internal gender, so it's, like, if you have, like, a man who, prevents, who presents very femininely, then that's, like, that's, like, a, a twink or whatever, <laughs> um, and then, like, you you know, but then... So, so you can be a man who's feminine, but then there's also, like, a girl who's feminine or a girl who's masculine, and then there's, like, the angle of, like, how much do, do you care about it? Like, some people are, like, 100%, like, I'm I'm 100% a man, and then other people are, like, I guess I'm a man, but, like, whatever. Um, and then, like, I don't remember what the other axis was, but it's kind of, like, what we're... I, I feel like as a society in general, we're, we're kind of breaking down gender that used to be this, you know, like, just, it's two options. And now we're like, wait, 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 okay, but how do we pick apart the options into, like, a little create-your-own Sims mode thing? Um, And yeah, I think that, you know, like, I have friends who are lesbians that use he-him pronouns, and, like, everyone is just kind of, you know, like, breaking like I feel sorry I keep on starting new thoughts but like as as a queer community in general there's this idea of like every I feel like we keep creating new boxes that we need to break again because it's like you know oh are you gay or are you lesbian oh I'm bi oh I'm ace oh I'm you know and so it's like every time we make a new label we have to break it apart and find the the new little like wait, not everybody fits in that actually. And and it's happening like in, yeah. So that's why people will joke that like, oh, millennials are creating like 500 new genders or whatever. And it's like we're just trying to find words to explain what we're feeling. Um,
4: yeah.
1: I have a, I want to just piggyback on something Ray said that I really liked. People, number one, traditionally who are Mormon don't separate gender identity and sexual identity. Those two are often already blurred together. If I had been attracted to men, I would have figured this out when I was 12. But because I was always able to be with a female partner or girlfriend, um, I never had a reason to figure it out. And then in addition to that, separating separating out things like presentation, we, we get so that we expect this. And I think for... The older generation, the tendency is to think of it as Barbie doll and lumberjack, and there's an invisible line in between and you're somewhere on the line. And it's just an insufficient analogy. It just doesn't cut all the things that Ray's talking about. Um, it, It really is amazing. It was like the older generation said, okay, there's only two boxes. You can be male or female. And then the next generation came around and said, well, that's not enough boxes. So let's create an L, a G, a P, a T, and a Q. And then the next generation came around and said, "Ah, let's just get rid of all the boxes. Yeah. And then the next generation came around and said, yes, but we need to figure out how we feel inside. And so they created a thousand boxes instead of just, and each generation approaches this very differently. I am from the generation where it was like, um, man, uh, Girl. Oh. And 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 it was it was not that clearly cut. I assumed at first for me I was non-binary. Oh, if the line is here magically in between, I might be a little just a tiny toe over the side of the female side. And then you explore, right? And you test and you test and you test. It turned out ultraily. And that was not at all what I expected in, in this journey. And so I really like those things that you commented there, Ray. I think that's very astute.
2: That's sorry, Taylor. I just want to comment. I was going to say that's that's one of those pieces on the chessboard where we overlap. Because I also, when I first was like, okay, maybe I'm not like I'm not a hundred percent cis. I was like, maybe okay, I'm going to use like she they pronouns and try look being like a little bit more androgynous. And then as soon as I did that, I was like, wait a second, there's like a whole masculine side of me that I was afraid of touching and now it's here and I just want more of it and so like there's I have had a lot of moments where I'm like am I am I a trans man or am I non-binary and I'm still kind of like in that I'm pretty sure that I'm trans mask, but not a hundred percent like a binary trans guy but yeah anyway it is it is very much like Emily said like you you don't realize who you are until you start like experimenting and, and touching, you know, dipping your toe in the water. And then you're like, Oh, oh.
1: That's absolutely why there needs to be a space to figure it out. There has to be parents who are educated, who can make this space for their own children. I'm so grateful. First I thought, Oh my gosh, I've ruined my family and my family's going to hell and it's all my fault. And at some point, you realize, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. Then at some point, you realize, not only did I not do anything wrong, I did some really brave and good things. And then your own children come out. And you go, whoa, I have two children that have come out. Both of them fall just to the one side of non-binary, probably trans-masculine. And both bisexual at this point. I don't really care. I'm grateful that they have a space. And then as a parent, I just don't wanna screw it up.
0: I think both of you raise really important just educational information here for so many folks who need to recognize that these are fluid identities for people as they are in some cases over the course of years uh, uh, expanding, refining, uh, redefining their own identity. And to allow folks that space to to do that. Um, so that's super helpful information. Keith, I, I wonder if you could also weigh in a little bit here on the research uh, uh, folks that you worked with. Uh, one, one of the things that's come up here is maybe a, a generational divide or at least difference of opinion here. Again, we don't have statistics on this necessarily in your research, but just general impressions based on the people that you talk to.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's been a treat to just hear um, Emily and Ray describe their um, ongoing navigation um, with their gender identities and and experiences. And yeah, there definitely was a generational effect, Taylor, Um, in the seven people I spoke with. uh, Like you said, nothing really statistically that we could take away from that. Uh, however, my my research team—it was you know a group of three or four of us—we did look at some broader statistics on the ways uh, generational, uh, the the effect of generation on the ways people were conceptualizing gender and identity labels, gender fluidity, and and things like that. And we did um, come across some studies that. Um, that found that older uh, trans and or gender nonconforming people are more likely to think of their sense of gender in more binary terms. More likely statistically, that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of older non-binary people. And then the younger kind of millennial uh, Gen Z uh, gender nonconforming Individuals um, that identify as trans or kind of under a gender queer or gender fluid umbrella are more likely to be critical, to think critically about and kind of move through labels and categories um, than their older counterparts. And I saw some of that playing out in my conversations with um, my interviewees. There were some younger people, as young as 18, 19, who I spoke with that had this very kind of, um, very interactional and shifting relationship with categories, uh, very much using some terms that, uh, and descriptions that you used, Ray. Uh, And then I had a participant in their 40s, um, who's 44 years old, and she um, spoke of her gender identity in, uh, as more stable, in, in more binary terms, uh, as uh, someone who has kind of always been uh, female. And uh, so it was really fascinating to see that generational impact just in the small sample size. And it definitely lined up with some of that broader bird's eye research that uh, we uh, studied and read about before we dove into our more specific study. I would say maybe
1: I should defer to Ray here and say what they think, but I've watched a lot of people try and talk to people they care about about this. I've tried to help a lot of young people navigate that process uh, while working in college. I'm um, try explaining non-binary or gender fluid to a 60 year old male. It's so far beyond the scope of how they think mm-hmm. that it is just darn near impossible to explain it to them. I can say, well, I'm a woman and I know I'm a woman and here's how I know. But if a person says they're non-binary, it's like their brain melts. I don't know. Ray, what's your experience yeah.
2: there? Yeah. I've, I have had this conversation with my friends a few times of like, sometimes I'm, I feel like it would be easier if I just switched to he, him pronouns, because I'm like, at least my parents know how to use that, you know? But, but when you, when you try to explain like, you know, that, that you're outside of the binary and that you're outside of those boxes, it's, it's hard to, and, and I think especially coming from an LDS background, like, or, you know, most conservative backgrounds, but because we're speaking in LDS space, I I think that we have this, you know, not only is there a gender binary, but it's believed to be sacred, you know, that there's like, there's there's important roles that certain people are meant to fill and things like that. And like, um, I do want to say, this is kind of what Maya says about, but I think that there is a sort of beauty in, the gender binary i think that there, are you know i understand why we have it as a society and i and i think that you know trans people also can attest to like there is a difference between genders that's why we're trans because if there was no difference then nobody would care what gender they were assigned you know but like the reason that we transition is because like gender is something um but yeah trying to I think that it really is just the conversation has changed so much. And for the older generation who hasn't been like a part of that ongoing conversation about gender, it's so difficult to try and like get them on board. You know, they they just they hear it and they're like, no, there's men and there's women and that's all.
0: So just because you said
1: I really like what you said, Ray, about it being sacred. I think that's a point I've not really considered, but I sit here and I think, what's the Mormon temple like? You're told your salvation comes through the temple, which side of the room are you going to sit on? Which locker room are you going to go into? Um, It's just absolutely binary without question. I remember asking, uh, a very kind, loving bishop said to me, what do we have to do to have you come back? And I said, how do I attend the temple? All of y'all have told me all my life that this is how I reach my salvation. How do we do this? And that binary is considered sacred. And I was told, I said, do you want me to sit in the aisle? Like, what do you want from me? And I was told, once a priesthood holder, always a priesthood holder, forever a priesthood holder. Um, and I had something not very kind to say about that. Um, and one of my first responses was, "Is this how women get the priests? And he didn't care for that answer very much. Um, but eventually they came back with an answer from a temple president, and I was told, if I presented as male, I could sit in the lobby. And that was my advice moving forward. So you don't you don't get access to the sacred if you don't fit in the way that that's sacred, if that makes sense, like Ray said.
0: So just as you both have have talked about, um, you know, uh, the the way that many trans members and and folks sort of have a variety of experiences is evolving over time with respect to gender, sexuality, their their identities, these core aspects of ourselves. Uh, This is a great place to transition to noting that many trans Latter-day Saints also have an evolving uh, relationship with the church. Uh, and, and both of you have shared in your written pieces and, and hinted at already that, uh, you had some painful experiences in, uh, in coming out uh, with respect to the church. And I wonder if you could just kind of talk us through a little bit and explain for, uh, for a Latter-day State audience, but maybe some who, who don't know as well, where those con- conflicts, uh, came together and you mentioned the temple as being you know a a key one but are there other places where we're sort of seeing these uh uh, conflict points
2: well i have a temple story if you don't mind um so i i still consider myself an active member i go to church at least a couple times a month recently my life's been a little hectic but you know i i try and when i go i wear like a button up and a tie and stuff. And usually I don't get, I don't get any flack for that at church, but I decided after a long time of not attending the temple, I was like, I'm going to try to go because I heard people online saying like, oh yeah, women can wear pants in the temple and that's fine. And I was like, okay. Um, and apparently, I don't know, apparently they meant just like when you're going in before you get changed but i was like i'm gonna wear white slacks to an endowment session oh, um good. and i also had like a button-up shirt and a little white tie um and so the first thing that that i got in trouble for was i had short sleeves, and that was my fault it's been a long time i forgot you can't have short sleeves. so um the temple attendants were like, oh, let let us get you something to wear. They told me they were going to grab me like a jacket and then they brought me a dress. And I was like, I'm not going to wear a dress. Um, And I like put my foot down. And so then they, like after some looking, they found like a little jacket thing that I could wear so that my arms were covered. And I went through and I had a wonderful spiritual time in the endowment session. I was very glad that I went. Um, But then afterwards those temple attendants had talked to one of the male leaders. I forgot what they're called, but like, um, he pulled me aside as I left this celestial room, uh, into like this little room. And he explained to me that me wearing pants was a distraction to, and um, to everybody else in the temple and took away from their spiritual experience. Um, and I just, I just cried and cried because I was like, you don't understand. Like if I can't, wear pants like I'm not coming back because I am i can't wear a dress like I it's it's I mean like I do consider myself you know like a, a blend of things and sometimes I wear dresses for fun but when I'm in a space where I'm trying to like commune with the divine I have to feel comfortable in what I'm wearing and how I'm presenting myself and I ha- and like wearing a dress in the temple just is not congruent with that and so like anyway i just cried a lot and i didn't go back and that made that made me really sad because you know i like i'm being exclude like the, the only way that i'm allowed to be in a sacred space is by not being myself and that's just not fair
1: first of all ray i'm trying not to curse um because I know Mormon audience doesn't it like it when I say something like, damn your break. But I'm I'm really impressed that you even made it that far. There's like this unwritten set of rules that are on the outside door. Um for me, what I encountered in terms of the church beyond the temple was that it's all crap crapshoot. And you play Bishop Roulette. And you show up, and depending on who your bishop is, you get a very different answer. Well, I had a young bishop who was a good friend of mine, who I had served in various callings with, knew somewhat of my background, and was from the East Coast. And he said to me, I said, I've been recommended by several doctors that I need that I would benefit from hormone replacement there. And my bishop said, my responsibility is not your medical care. My responsibility is your spiritual care. And if that's the medicine your doctor recommends, then it's us that have to deal with the effects. And next door, in the next bishop office down, a friend of mine about three months earlier went through the same process and was told... Hormones are moral and spiritual poison that are condemning your family to hour for multiple generations. Insanehood. Eventually the two of us became friends, by the way, and she's amazed. Um, it's crazy to me how different it is from bishop to bishop. And even then, I struggled to find a space. I was told the same thing you were about distraction. I was told that if I was going to come to church, I need to not cause a distraction. And I asked what that meant, and that's such a nebulous term. It just seems like an excuse to something that makes you uncomfortable. You can kick it out. Um, I was told that if I went to church, I was expected to sit in with the elders' quorum, Um, and if I did, I needed to present head to toe in male clothing. I was eight months into my transition. I have pretty solid B cup breasts. All y'all don't want me sitting there in a white shirt without a bra on. Like, you're going to be uncomfortable. And how how can I ever be comfortable in that space ever? And I asked to go to Relief Society, and I was told no. And I was still trying to attend. And I asked again, can I build a Relief Society? And I was told no. You being in the Relief Society will make the women in there uncomfortable. Generally, when I talked to the women, they weren't the ones that had a problem with it. Frankly, the ones that generally had a problem with it in the church were the men. Um, so, what did I do each Sunday for almost three months? I took a chair and they propped the door up into Relief Society and I sat outside the dome until they told me that was not okay. So, That process can be brutal, and I had a wonderful, caring, loving bishop who to this day I would stand up for him. He met me in the coffee shop as we discussed my place within the church for months. Um, At some point we both looked around and realized there wasn't really a pathway for me where I was at, and I needed to find a different pathway. In fact, we had a discussion about um, some of the aspects of the Book of Mormon that talk about this. When the people were cast out, and he says to them, "Do you suppose that you can only find God in your synagogues? Do you suppose that the only place you can have a relationship with God with is inside the Mormon Church?" and and that's quoting uh, that that's taking from the Book of Mormon. And that was what the two of us talked about for almost a month. So there's a lot of, a lot of very, very difficult things. Um, but I first told a bishop when I was a letter. First worthiness interview. I was about to turn 12, and I still wanted to do it right. And I, I, I went in there, and he said, "Is there anything else you need to tell me?" And I said, "Well." I don't know how to explain this, but I'm drawn to women's and girls' things. I like girls' clothes. I like the colors and the styles. I like to spend time with girls rather than boys. They're more fun for me. And I was immediately asked if I was attracted to boys, to which I said, I don't really know very well. I'm 11. but." I did say, I don't imagine myself being married to a boy. And they all breathe a big sigh of relief. And because if you're not gay, then there's nothing to worry about. And I've been told often that the sin is in the sex. I was having sex with somebody I was married to in your temple. Where was the sin? And so they really didn't know what to do with me. I was very problematic for them. I'd held all the positions that they were currently doing. I taught all the Sunday school classes. I was all in for more than 40 years. So I'm still problematic for them, and they really don't know what to do with me. But I found that for me, I can't decide for Ray or anyone else. But for me, there was no place for me to take my journey or walk my path.
0: Keith, some of, some of these stories of, of folks not fitting or finding an ambiguous place or, you know, uh, uh, the, the, mid, the term of bishop roulette is a key term here. Can you talk a little bit about some of the folks that you talked to about how they navigated this? And it might be useful to talk about the to, to briefly summarize the 2020 changes in uh, handbook policy on trans identity at church to maybe give some context there as well.
3: Definitely. Yeah. The experiences of of individuals that I spoke with in regards to the church were as diverse as they were shifting uh, and in flux. And Emily and and Ray, first of all, I'm so sorry for those experiences you've gone through that just involve such a blatant rejection and ostracization, exclusion for simply being yourself and expressing yourself in authentic ways. People I spoke with were running into that problem. Uh, In fact, almost in, sometimes in in nearly identical ways. I recall speaking to one of my participants who um, was assigned male at birth and identified as non-binary. And they Uh, wanted to attend Relief Society. They felt more inclined to attend Relief Society, and their bishop at first allowed them to for the first uh, three or four weeks at church. And then word got up to this person's stake president, and the stake president vetoed that decision. And uh, this person could no longer attend Relief Society, and they were told, you are a male, you have to attend priesthood. and understandably they stopped attending and did not feel safe at, at church. So there uh, there were several people who just in similar ways just felt so rejected and so ostracized uh, and just deemed the church unsafe. There were other people who had better luck with different leaders like you said, Taylor, this kind of bishop roulette, um, that really seemed to depend on geographic location, the age of the bishop, the political orientation of the bishop, the theological perspectives of the bishop. Um, some bishops were very welcoming and accepting and, and just some seemed to be not that way. Uh, and that's just has to be so painful and, and disorienting and confusing for people, Um uh, Taylor, you mentioned the 2020 changes. Those are very relevant because the church, since, since 1980, has explicitly prohibited what they call physical transition. So presumably any kind of medical or surgical transition was grounds for uh, excommunication and language they've now, recently revised membership restrictions. In 2020, they maintained that clause about physical transition, and they added a new, a new phrase, social transition, that confused and upset several people that I spoke with. Uh, and it came out in our interviews. What the LDS Church prohibited was any kind of social transition and that would have the same membership restrictions as a physical transition. Although the problem is church leaders didn't specify what constituted a social transition uh, in the handbook. So someone pointed that out, who I spoke with in uh, my interviews and said, that is so arbitrary and so vague. What does that even mean to social transition? If someone dresses a little more effeminately or a little more masculine. If someone has longer hair, or someone has earrings, makeup uh, in a certain way or, or fashion, who is policing these social transitions? And when does someone cross the line of social transitioning enough to constitute membership restrictions uh, and social transition to one progressive bishop in Brooklyn, New York? may be very different than a social transition in the perspective of a bishop in Vernal, Utah. So these are some of the questions that are still swirling on the minds of yeah, trans and gender nonconforming Latter-day Saints. And we're certainly confusing and and angering uh several of the people I spoke with that were trying to make their church membership work, but were just feeling so much pain and ostracization along the way. There is a fundamental lack of knowledge
1: here um, that just pervades these people. I wish them all the best and I don't wish being bishop on my worst enemy. (laughs) Brutal assignment. I've worked with lots of them. It is really brutal what they're expected to know and be able to do. Most of them have no concept in counseling. If one person I told somebody every year, including the years I was on a mission, the same thing. If one of them, just one of them, had said, go see a counselor, how was my life different? Mm-hmm. Now, let's add to that the ambiguity of terms like distraction or transition. Most of them have no idea what transition means. Uh, uh, how are they going to police something that they can't even define? Um it's, it's beyond it being ambiguous. It, they simply have no idea what the word really means. And so when you're a person who knows what the word really means and you try and explain it, that's not going to go well.
2: Um, I have just an example of, of how you never know what you're going to get, even with the same bishop. So um, I in, in my ward at BYU, I was not the only trans person in the ward. There was a trans guy in my ward. Um, And I didn't know... I heard about this from my bishop. So when I met with my bishop to renew my temple recommend, um, he was like, I need to ask you a question. Are you socially transitioning? And I was like, you know, I knew the policies. So I was like, if I say yes, I'm not getting my recommend. But I wanted to be honest. So I was like, I mean you know, Ray is not my birth name, and I don't use she her pronouns. So like, I think, yes, I am socially transitioning. And my bishop sat with that for a minute. And he was like, well, okay, but you're not like the trans guy in the ward, because he uses he him pronouns, and the name he uses is nothing like his birth name. and And he's asked me to go to priesthood. And so he doesn't get a temple recommend, but I think you can have one. And I mean, like, I was like, okay, sure. If you're going to give it to me, give it to me. But I, that, I thought that was so unfair because I was like, that's that's such a weird double standard. Because first of all, it feels like um, you're not validating my non-binary gender as real. You just see me as a weird girl. So that's thank you for that. Um, you know, but like... And also then, you know, so this, like, why do I get one? But he doesn't. And, you know, he is like, the only difference is that he was leaning more binary, whereas I was just like, I'm not a woman. But like, um, yeah, so I was I was like, that's, it just doesn't make sense. And so, and yeah, the bishops don't know what they're doing. But, you know, and I, I respect this bishop. He's always been kind to me. But it's like, I... Yeah, I don't think that that was necessarily the right call there. Um, I also wanted to mention that I do think uh, there is more, I mean, in my experience, there is a little bit more flexibility for um, people who are assigned female at birth. You like we've I think it's mentioned in in Keith's paper that like the um I forgot the phrasing but leaving leaving the masculine and turning toward the feminine is seen as much more offensive to the the patriarchal uh setup of the church than a woman who wants to be more masculine and also like the the dress code for women at church is a lot more flexible so it's like you know I don't know, I can get away with wearing pants and a shirt to church and, like, people don't really care that much. Whereas if I was assigned male at birth and I tried to wear a dress, that, like, you know, it's it causes much more of a ruckus. I have a friend who's my age who was um, assigned male at birth and and wearing uh, more feminine clothes at church, and that was a whole, um, just, like, had to go to the state president's office and things and so there is definitely a a variation in experience when it comes to what like what gender you were assigned at birth and also like what how quote-unquote far you're transitioning so like yeah i think that i've I've met a lot more like a lot of non-binary people who have a bit of an easier time going to church than more binary trans people um because i think it goes back to the like people don't know what non-binary means and so they're just kind of like okay you just do your thing and i'm i'm just gonna ignore it until it becomes a problem you know
1: it's interesting i think a lot of what ray has said is point on um If a woman wears a pair of men's pants, nobody notices. But if a man wears a pair of women's skinny jeans, people with like bejeweled pockets, people will lose their dang minds. And it has always boggled me. And I was following and working through my process under the direction of a bishop. He knew all the medication... He knew the hormones. He knew what they were doing. He knew how I felt about it. I shared all of that. And he still was bringing me through the process as best he could. And then the 2020 thing hits. I had already socially transitioned. So this hit different. This wasn't me going, well, maybe there's still a place for me. I was already lost. I was, when that policy hit, I had a fight with my ex-wife, and I went and sat in the parking lot. And if a friend hadn't come, I wouldn't be here. That's how hard that policy hit. That policy killed people. Um, it almost hit me. You set up a policy of exclusion, and people die. You, you just can't do that to a vulnerable population. And I sat in the car and said, well, I guess I found out this morning that I'm going to hell and so is my family. Thanks. Where I had done everything a bishop had told me to do through the whole process. So when I woke up that day, and I knew it was coming, so I sat in the bathtub and I checked it every 20 minutes all night long. It came in shortly after 3 a.m. onto the F, And I was waiting. And I knew when I read it, that I was already lost by the standards of the church. I had already socially transitioned under the guidance of a bishop. How do you process this in one morning to go from thinking you're following all of the rules to you've been condemned to hell because they updated the handbook? I I mean, I, I think everything that is sacred and holy that I had a friend who came and found me. She knew it, she read it, and she came and found me immediately because she knew what that would do. It's that scary. You exclude people in that way, people die. We're so glad that you're here with us, by the way, and thank you for... I don't mean to be overly dramatic, and I don't want to sound like I'm just miserable and hate the world. This is maybe the happiest I've been in my entire life. So what do I say? Well, this, this is a good place
0: to, to get some parting advice from, from both of you. What would you say to those who are transitioning, those who want to support them, who, who may be church leaders or friends or family members? What, what, based on your, your wisdom, life experience thus far, what, what, what are some you know, top-level uh, advice that you have?
2: Um, I'm just gonna give a plug for uh Queer Theology or like the uh, Queer Mormon Theology by Blair Osler. That's that book is just a really good summary of how like lots of core principles of LDS doctrine can, fit in with a with a queer view of the world and of society and it meant a lot to me because um for me when i first realized i was i was bi i didn't even know anything about my gender yet uh, the thing i was most terrified of was that i had to give up my faith and there i know that you know a lot of queer people have had to leave the the um the organization of the church because it just there's no room for us but um I desperately like I didn't I didn't want to have to give up my relationship with my heavenly parents and Jesus Christ. And so for me, um, things like Blair Osler's book, as well as just kind of exploring what it's like to connect with the divine outside of institutional things, um, that has been really important to me. Uh, and and being comfortable with the fact that like I don't know, like I had to come to a place where I had self-validation, where I, you know, no matter what the bishop says, no matter what the temple people say, I know that I'm right with God. And, you know, and also that like the... If I'm, I don't know, you know, like also if I'm not, I don't think that it's that big of a deal. I think something else that, and I don't mean to minimize anything but i i something else that's important to me is that according to like lds theology there is no actual hell and and that god is ever forgiving and like will work with you and he's an individual god sorry i don't need to get on the soapbox um but the 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 like little advice is just learn who you are learn to be good with like who you are regardless of what institutions tell you you need to be and surround yourself with people who support you in that.
1: I would say, number one, I don't mean to make this the Blair Osler shout-out movement, um, but I think Blair is amazing. Um, Blair is the one who encouraged me to share my story. That's how I got there. Um, I would say connect with people of faith who understand these things better. If all else fails, you should be following Samantha Richardson and all of the art that she produces. She does comic art that is stunning. And I always think about the one where she goes back in time and visits herself um, at a very young age and tells herself to trust herself. No matter what anyone else says, trust yourself. If I could go back and give myself a piece of advice, listen to yourself before everyone else. Um, that would dramatically change it. If you really figure it out, if you seek out authenticity, guess what? As a bonus, you get inner peace. Those two come hand in hand. If you need inner peace and you seek out inner peace, guess what? Probably became more authentic. Like, I just think those are tied. What I learned was fairly simple. Dysphoria screams something is wrong. Euphoria tells me I might have found the answer. And so I tried to stay between the guideposts. And then over time, the guideposts got closer together. Does that make sense? Like, for me, it started over here when I saw, when I would get up in the morning and have to shake my face, I would throw up in the seat because it, just made me physically ill with the dysphoria, and on this side, um, oh my gosh, I have clear toenail polish on. This feels fantastic, and eventually they get closer and closer together as you figure out who you are, and and this is not even fair. It needs to be more of one of these. Um, trust who you feel you are, and find out who you feel you are. My advice to the parents. Your kid comes out to you. This is standard answer stuff from the Mama Dragons. Okay? And shout out to the Mama Dragons because they're literally safe. They came and found me. One friend in particular and several others. If your kid comes out to you, congratulations. Holy crap. You're such a good parent that they loved you and connected with you enough to share one of the hardest moments of their entire life. So tell them thank you. Then tell them I love you no matter matter what. what, Because that's what you say when when the posts. got closer together. Does that make sense? Like for me and would you like it, to it talk started over here it? when I saw when I would get up in the morning and, and have it. to shake my face. and then shut out to the I would throw up and because it and we just, just don't made me you. With with dysphoria. Dysphoria. And if imagine this the world is um, every oh my man, gosh, I have clear tone melt publishing respond like that. This feels fantastic. That's it. They same cue. And eventually do they we get closer about? and closer together as you figure That's out it. who you are. It's such an and this such is a, not even fair. A basic it's level the of thing of um, um But if you could figure this out, who you feel you okay, are, and you can find, find yourself you these you places. Are. My advice to you: where, where the you're pan. sitting between the fence posts of dysphoria and euphoria. Your kid comes out. We to you. pound this is on the standard answer dysphoria. stuff from the Euphoria, tell me. Shout out to the Mama Dragons. The because there, um, literally, there's an, uh, an inner peace and happiness that I didn't one find one friend field. in particular and several others. And at some point, it is possible to if be your more kid yourself comes than you. you thought you could be. Congratulations. I definitely knew I could Holy be this much myself. You're such a good I didn't even parent know was that option. they loved you and connected with you enough mm-hmm. to share one of the hardest moments but yeah, of yeah, their Trust yourself. Life. Work between the so guys thank you. Surround yourself with people who are smart. Then tell be wonderful. wonderful care. People just need to know somebody. If somebody if you know somebody who really knows a couple transgender people, you just can't learn to What you need is you need one caring adult for each kid. And everybody needs to know a trans person. We live in such a... a and a... lovely. So come meet us. Will you just say
0: that one more time? Because I think I spoke over you. Just the last line again. I'm sorry.
1: Frankly, um, we are lovely and beautiful. Come and meet us. Hey, come sit down with me. Let me make you tacos. I don't... But let's spend some time, share a conversation... And you look, we've fundamentally shifted in how you think if you really come into that conversation, I could promise it'll happen.
0: We live in such a a complicated time of both heightened trans visibility and trans acceptance and some really scary things that are happening at various states and in, in various movements around the country of, of, uh, you know, misinformation and, um, you know, real hatred, and so I am just so grateful for, for both of you and, and so many others who are willing to share your stories with us, to talk with us about these issues, to think through the, the hard uh, elements of life that we experience as individuals and together. So I'm just so grateful and honored for you, Emily, Ray. Uh, for the research that Keith has done to give voice to uh, to, to these issues and to, to share your experience and your wisdom with us. So thank you all for your time this evening. You're welcome.
2: Yeah, I'm glad that we could have this conversation.
0: I
1: benefited from it.
0: We hope that our listeners have enjoyed this conversation too and have learned something new. If you'd like to learn more, we encourage you to check out the LGBTQ and trans topics pages at dialoguejournal.com and we thank our subscribers for supporting work like this. Special thanks also to Daniel Smith for spearheading and producing this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and don't forget to leave us a review or get in touch with any comments or questions. We hope that you'll tune in for future episodes of our podcast and be sure to check out the whole range of shows in the Dialogue Podcast Network. Thanks.
4: I'm going to take a risk in this ad by saying the word holiness right here in the very first sentence that's risky because the word can trigger all kinds of positive or negative feelings i mean sometimes i'm afraid to call something holy because it makes things feel sort of unrelatable or or like disconnected from everyday life and really i mean that's too bad because the words actually related to wholeness and helpfulness which suggests that maybe we can learn to find holiness in places we never really thought to look before I'm talking about holiness like a fire. It can warm, but it can also burn. You might get smoke in your eyes, but the flickering flames are also really beautiful. If this kind of holiness sounds appealing, you should check out Fireside with Blair Hodges. It's a podcast featuring writers, artists, and activists who can help expand your concept of holiness to include the gritty, earthy stuff of everyday life. Come fan the flames of your curiosity at Fireside with Blair Hodges part of the Dialogue Podcast Network, available at firesidepod.org and wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Dialogue Podcast Network.